Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam? Can I borrow your shovel? My car's stuck. Uh, I would gladly give you my shovel, but I am stuck. Fuck. Coming to you almost live from beneath a windrow, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your chilly hosts. It is It is a little chilly out there. You know, actually I'm told that being packed in snow is quite insulating. Well, I think we'll just stay here then. Yeah, obviously we will eventually warm up. Yeah. It will turn into a sort of igloo. Yeah, and then... and then We'll, we'll just live here now. We'll live happily ever after. There you go. It's the perfect winter story. <laughs> Great to be back in the studio with you. Yes. We've, Not that... Not that it's been a long time since we've been in the studio. No, but we did interview David Gerald on our last show, and that which was, was kind of a field trip. It was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. We got to speak to that guy, and he knows a lot about Star Trek and a lot about stuff. Really. Yeah, he was a very interesting. If you have not heard the David Gerald interview, uh, because you're like, he's not an Edmontonian. Why do I care what he has to say? It's actually a really excellent interview. Yeah, we had it's a lot worth of fun. going back and checking out. Thanks again to the people at PureSpec for having us out. That was really it's, cool, as always. Yes, um, it's been a busy couple of weeks for the city of Edmonton as councillors are sitting in on budget deliberations. Yes, it has been. And uh, so they've been talking over the last few weeks in council meetings about the capital budget and the operating budget. Yes. So does anyone know the difference between the two? I think you should explain the difference between the two. Okay. For those few listeners who obviously uh, don't follow uh, civic politics as closely as the bulk of our listeners. Sure. Now, uh, full disclosure, before I endorse something, <laughs> uh, the the financial department of the city of Edmonton is a client of mine, and we helped to build a website for them called yegcitybudget.ca, and it, it actually breaks out the, two, the three different budgets, because there's capital operating and the utilities budget, and sort of explains what each budget is about, what goes into them, uh, what the you know, what line items form the highest percentage of the budget, that sort of thing. And so um, without looking at that website, I'm going to tell you that capital, the capital budget is spending on things we're building. So uh, whether that's LRT tracks, rec centers, um, bus terminals, sewer, sewer lines, that sort of thing, that's all part of the capital budget. It's new infrastructure. The operating budget is all about you know, the things we do to maintain our facilities. So it's staff, it's it's non-capital repairs, yeah. um, that sort of thing. The, the, the stuff that you need to pay, the stuff that you need to pay, the money that you need to pay in order to keep the wheels turning. That's right. And so, so the city administration came back and said, we think that a 5.3% uh, property tax increase for the typical Edmonton household is going to be uh, what we need to maintain service levels and to introduce a few new projects. Um, so the city, I think last week, just wrapped up talking about the capital budget. They're into the operating budget at the time of this recording. And there were a few, I, I, I want to say, sort of contentious items. Uh, there always are. Yeah, on the capital budget. And one of, them, one of the big conversations last week seemed to be around police helicopters. Uh, for those of you who are unaware... And I don't imagine there are many. There is a police helicopter in the city of Edmonton. Um, 
Now, I'm under the impression that the RCMP also have a helicopter. I think that they K do. Division does as well. Yeah, they might. Yeah. But the Edmonton police have their own, uh, Air One. Yep. And it is effective at doing what it does, which is spot things from on high. <laughs> yes. And uh, the police, for a while, have been asking for a second one so they can increase their coverage of the city. And because the first one's getting a little older. I, I don't even remember how old it is. When did they get Air One? I think it was in the early 2000s. Pretty sure. I can look it up. You I would I would have guessed late 90s, but uh, you might be more correct than I am. Uh, but yeah, they wanted a second police helicopter, and they've been asking for one for a while, actually, too. Yeah, to this, my this isn't new information. This is, and nor is it the first time the city and the police have had this conversation with one another. Uh, but this time, the city said, okay, we will help you to get a new police helicopter. Yeah, so uh, just, just to, to the point we were making earlier... Air One made its public debut at Heritage Days on Sunday, August 5th, 2001. There you go. So it's, you it's old. It's old. It's a 15-year-old helicopter. Yeah. And I think they bought it used as well. Uh, that almost certainly, yes. Yeah. Because they, they wanted to get it because they, they had to scrimp and save for that first helicopter. Yeah, it was and, actually and a, they went out of their way to find something affordable, shall we say. And it was part of a fundraising campaign, as I yes, recall, like a publicly funded police helicopter. The, the community really did get behind it. And I don't know that there'd be a lot of people out there that would argue that a helicopter is a shitty tool, a shitty policing tool. I think it's, I think it's proven its worth. Absolutely. I don't know if it's proven, it, if an additional helicopter, if there's enough proof of the value Okay. Of a second helicopter. Yeah, yeah. So so the city police were asking for another helicopter, and apparently the helicopters they have now need a little bit of runway to take off. They can't just go up, up and down. Well, because vertical takeoff technology is uh, just obsolete now. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't understand what that's about. There's a whole host of issues, but in any case, it was a big conversation at city council last week, and I believe, if I'm if my memory serves me correctly... They did agree to get an additional helicopter, but not the fancy model helicopter uh, that they were that the police were asking for. A compromise was struck. I suppose so. But one of the big contentious stories isn't about the capital budget. It's still about the police. It's about the operating budget because the police are asking for funding. And I'll look up the number for exactly how much money they're looking for. But basically to put something like 45 new officers on the street next year, which is significant. And... Police Chief Rod Connect is saying that that's because Edmonton's growing. Well, which is fair. Edmonton is growing. And unfortunately, Edmonton continues to grow outward rather than upward. Yeah, that's a real problem. And uh, that means that you do, in fact, need more people for more coverage because you're growing outward, not upward. And it's interesting this conversation comes up now because there's such a spotlight uh, on policing, especially down in the United States right now, yeah, because of all of the uh, all the stuff happening around. For, I'm going to say Ferguson, but it's m- much larger than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether or not you agree with uh, the decision of the uh, of the grand jury in that case, doesn't change the fact that it really has shone a, a spotlight on policing and the use of force and uh, the militarization of the police and uh, the growing powers of the police in the States. Canada's not quite that bad yet, but we're not excellent. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, not, uh, we're not exactly skipping through daisies as compared to the United States. Though, 
in fairness, the Edmonton Police Force, to the best of my knowledge, does not have a tank. So I don't know. Actually, that's a very good question. We I'm sure they have. Out. I'm sure they have an armored tactical vehicle. Yeah, probably. but I don't think they have a literal tank. No, which some police forces in the United States do because they purchase. Uh, military hardware secondhand yeah. from the military. Military is done with this tank. They'll sell it to the police. The police will never have any reason to have a tank. And they, but they will find a reason to use it. And, they, and that's a problem. And they don't really have. I, I imagine, like when you're getting such a good deal on surplus military equipment, you're not really in a position to say no. Right? If the military was offering me a great deal on surplus military equipment, I'd be like, yeah, I can find some space for that. Yeah, you know, I, I'll just take one of the cars out of the garage and we'll park it in there. Um, um, so I think that that's actually an interesting point, Scott, because I think that part of my thinking on the debate around the police operating budget and capital budget, I suppose, is colored by the events that have been taking place in the United States around policing. So when, when the chief of police in Edmonton asks for money for, um, it's actually 84 new officers next year and 400 over the next four years, I'm a little skeptical. And, and I, I know that's not really a rational reaction to it because I haven't dug into the numbers of the business case for it. But I'm thinking about, boy, do we want more of those kinds of people on the streets? And that's a really bad attitude to have. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it is a really bad attitude to have. I would, I would go so far as to say that most police officers are good people. Agreed. They, they legitimately want to help the community and to serve and protect as, as is their sort of credo. Um, there are going to be some bad apples everywhere. And uh, I, don't, uh, I don't believe that Edmonton has a particularly corrupt police force. Not lately. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think a few years ago, maybe five or ten, there but, were hints of that. But even if, and corruption tends to, tends to uh, rise, mm -hmm. I guess would be the best way to put it. So even if you have uh, corruption closer to the top, the general rank-and-file police officers legitimately want to help you. Yeah. They're legitimately good people. And I don't think that... I don't think in Edmonton you have a reason to be afraid of the police, necessarily. No, I don't think so. Um, unless you're legitimately doing something terrible. Yeah. But I also don't want that to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like our current chief of police is a is a good dude, and, and he's done a pretty good job. This this is all, it's unfortunate that because of the stuff down south, you know, myself and maybe some a few other people are, are questioning uh, whether the police need all the resources they say they do. And, and that's, I think that really is part of what's colored the conversation this year. And I mean, the police ask for more every year. Yeah. They do. Well, you have to. You kind of have to. Um, and the, the city generally, and, and this is something else that was brought up uh, this year, the city generally gives the police what they ask for, or at least very close to what they ask for, if not exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of skepticism this year, and that it is colored by events happening down in the United States right now. And another part of the budget debate, of course, and, and it's only been alluded to a few times by the mayor, is that property taxes are not an effective tool to to fund the city's functions, that, that in fact, cities don't get as much of the, um, don't get as much revenue as, as sources like the province and the federal government, and that needs to change. And so one of the things that uh, the mayor has said uh, in, this, in this particular article I'm reading about the police is that they need, they need a better deal on funding from the province. So, so I think what's going to happen is they're going to pass this budget 
Um, and then there's going to be these these big city charter discussions that Nenshi and, and, and Mayor Iveson and a couple of the other mayors in Alberta need to talk to the premier about. So it's going to be kind of an interesting new year. And it's it's I feel even weird saying new year because it, it's only the beginning of December when we're recording this. And and it's you know, we're getting really close to Christmas here. Yeah. The year has uh, almost wrapped itself up. Yeah. And uh, we're actually, usually you and I do a gift exchange on our Christmas episode. We're not technically making this our Christmas episode. Although we're, it is in the Christmas season. It's, it's, and it is more festive than normal. It is, there is garland everywhere. Uh, there, there are holly berries. Uh, it's, Scott is wearing only a scarf. It's, and Adam has been winking at me underneath the mistletoe for like 20 minutes. You just can't take a hint. It's, <laughs> it's very frustrating, Scott. Uh, but this is not our Christmas show. No. We are going to do that, uh, for our next episode. Yeah. Cause we figured, originally we were planning only to do one episode in December, but, um, we've been having so much fun this year with the and show. you deserve it. You, you listeners. You are listeners. You deserve an extra episode. You deserve to listen to us. We are going to give you the present, the Christmas present. Of more unknown studio, and actually, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really terrible gift. Actually. I don't know. Maybe maybe some of you actually appreciate that, and if you do, consult your physician. But um, I, recently, I was cleaning up one of the bedrooms at our apartment, and um, I found six unknown studio mugs. Excellent. So, what we're going to do on our next episode is give away six unknown studio mugs, each of them containing. $50 worth of Oodle Noodle gift certificates. That's a lot of noodles. Yeah. That I, is a pretty decent Christmas present. I think so, too. So um, so listen on our next episode. We'll tell you how you can enter to win those. It'll be fun. And it won't be, I mean, we're not going to be able to get it to you on Christmas, but think of it as a healthy way to kick off the new year. With noodles and coffee. Yes. Two, two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, to be fair. We're only giving you the mug, not the coffee. So that's our bad, I guess. We have some exciting stuff coming up in the new year. Yeah, we do, actually. We're talking about that. I, I don't want to get into too much detail right now. We're still working out some of the logistics, but uh, we're pretty excited. And we're pretty close to being where we need to be to get this thing we're doing. We're being very... We are vague booking right now. We are vague booking, yes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a form of subtweeting. What would it be on a podcast? I don't know. Vague casting, sure. Um, yeah, that's, we're that's what we're doing. We're, we're vague doing casting, it. but uh, I'm I'm giving you a little a little teaser about it. This is the Star Wars Episode Seven teaser <laughs> of uh, the Unknown Studios New Year. We have some exciting stuff we're looking forward to, and we want to just kind of start building a little bit of hype. Yeah, and before we get to our guest. I wanted to mention a few things. You did mention the Star Wars uh, teaser trailer that came out mm -hmm. to, I want to say, much fanfare. Eh. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, yeah. It's a teaser trailer. It's not going to tell you much. No, but some yeah. of the visuals are pretty cool. I, I agree. Uh, I did see Stephen Colbert's rebuttal to all of the people who were offended by the lightsaber with a cross guard. Yeah. Uh, which was quite well thought out, actually. Yeah, he really nailed it. Uh, the guy knows a lot about lightsaber crystals. The guy knows a lot about a lot of nerdy stuff. <laughs> He's a Stephen Colbert nerd. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, there was also uh, an announcement the other day about who's going to be in the next Bond film. Yes. So it'll include, of course, Daniel Craig will reprise his role as Bond for the fourth time. Yes, he will. 
and Christoph Waltz and Monica Bellucci have been cast for the show. And the show is called Spectre. Which is which is a is part of Ian Fleming's canon of books, right? Uh, and no. I thought that Spectre was a thing that was mentioned in the books. Um, as I understand it, the reason that the organization Spectre, uh, which was kind of uh, through uh, a number of the movies, was kind of this evil organization that Bond was was fighting. Um, the reason they haven't reappeared for so many years is because Spectre had been um, introduced by one of the um, film producers. Oh, okay. Um, someone who had broken from the Bond films, and there was it was a really bad split, and he was just like, nope, you're never allowed to use Spectre or Blofeld ever again. And uh, it has been a contentious battle for years, but finally, and I don't even think it's the guy himself, I believe it is his estate, because I believe he may have died, don't quote me on that, Okay. Uh, came to terms with the new producers uh, involved in the Bond franchise, and so they can now once again use Blofeld and Spectre in Bond movies. Right on. And, and Spectre is kind of... Because so many people are more familiar with the movies than the books, Spectre's kind of an iconic part of the Bond uh, firmament, I want to say. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that it hasn't been used for so long. So it's interesting that it'll be coming back. I really enjoy Daniel Craig as Bond. I love the last Bond movie, and I'm really looking forward to this because I also... Remember when everybody was, was outraged because he was blonde? No. And it was just unacceptable for James Bond to be blonde? I guess. People are always going to have strong opinions about this stuff. Uh, back to the Star Wars Episode Seven trailer, people were outraged that there was a black stormtrooper. For which there could be a host of explanations. Uh, who knows if the clone program persisted? It did not. Well, there you go. They uh, Eventually, there were problems with clones getting older because of their advanced aging. So they went to conscription. So there was a lot of conscripted stormtroopers by that point. Uh, and they were phasing out the clones. That's why there's a black guy who's conscripted from somewhere. People. Or <laughs> or another another explanation could simply be, uh, not unlike in the uh, in episode four, when Luke and Han dress in stormtrooper outfits, it could just be a black dude trying to get away from the Empire in a stormtrooper outfit. Also very possible. Like we like to your point, it's a teaser. We don't know anything about well, this. We film. don't know anything. Except there were an alarmingly low number of lens flares for a J.J. Abrams film. Uh, they uh, released, or someone released, mm-hmm. a uh, version of the teaser trailer as J.J. Uh, Abrams had originally wanted. <laughs> and it's you can barely see anything for all the lens flares. That's it's awesome. quite funny. Um, uh, there are actually a couple of really great versions of it out there. There was a Lego version that someone did of it. Uh, there's the George Lucas special edition version. Which was hilarious. There's a Michael Bay version. <laughs> and there's also a, um, a Wes Anderson version that someone uh, made. I have not seen that one. So we'll post links for all four of those uh, on our website with, with this episode, of course. Um, one more thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, sort of an Edmonton story, but uh, as I understand it, the new Dragon Age game has been named Game of the Year. I had not heard that. Yeah, and that's what the, the chatter on Twitter was this morning. Well, uh, kudos for slipping one in before the end of the year. Well and, done, by the way. And then uh, managing to take Game of the Year. See, I have a love-hate relationship with the Dragon Age franchise, because Dragon Age Origins was a great game. Is that the f- first? That was the first okay. one. Okay. Dragon Age uh, 2 was a terrible game. Really? I have uh, a friend who, full disclosure, worked at Bioware at that time and has a little bit of a personal stake in it, who will argue to the ends of the earth that it is actually a great game. He is wrong. He is objectively (laughs) wrong. It is a, 
It is a disaster. Is that right? There are some good ideas. There's some decent mechanics. It's just a horrible mis- mishmash, and it it fails. It's one of the few Bioware games I've never gone back and replayed. Wow. Be- and I have no desire. And to. you played it through, though. You, you did. Play I it did. Through. I forced myself to finish that game. Jeez. Inquisition. I was. <sighs> I was leery of because I was so put off by Dragon Age 2, but so far everything I've seen has been very positive, and I'm starting to get excited. It's on my Christmas list. Okay. So um, I'm I'm open-minded to them having fixed some of the mistakes of Dragon Age 2, and I know why some of the mistakes happened in Dragon Age 2. It was a game that was not meant to be a full sequel. It was rushed out the door. It, it just, it everything was stacked against it, and... Um, this is not to say that I don't like Bioware games. Big fan of Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, have no problem with with that franchise overall. Um, but yeah, Dragon Age Two really turned me off of Dragon Age. Well, game so. of the year for the third one. So uh, let's hope that it's a very merry Christmas for you in Indeed. the world of Dragon Age. And we'll be back in a few moments with our guest. That's right. <laughs> We're joined in the studio today by a, a singular man, a National Magazine Award winner and Pogo car user, also the editor of a new magazine, The Yards. Welcome to the show, Omar Mualam. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Omar has been on the show before. Yes, he has. We talked to him about freelance writing and what that's all about, and you're still doing that. I, I am. I've survived uh, two years and one month. And seven days. As a freelance writer? As a freelance writer. But who's counting? Full-time freelancer. Not a single person. (laughs) Not one. And you are an international freelance writer. Um, Yeah, I've been, I've, uh, since, since we, since we last chatted, I've been able to break in a couple of uh, other markets. I've I've written for um, the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong, and I had a piece in Wired magazine uh, in the November issue. So, yeah, I started to break out of Alberta and Canada a little bit. And now you're doing... Something amazing. Something totally opposite of international writing. <laughs> you have fused, you've worked with the downtown and Oliver Community Leagues to create a magazine called The Yards. Yeah. So why create the magazine at all? Um, a lot of community leagues and a lot of communities have, um, well, they have community newsletters. We've all seen them. It's usually like a tabloid paper folded in half. Sometimes it's a, it's a small newspaper, and that's what the Oliver... Uh, community league had is they had a, a newspaper that was around for 18 years and and um, and it served its it served its purpose it um, but I I think that uh, the the precipice that we're at with downtown right now maybe requires a little bit of a a fresh take and so after I'd written about the uh, Molson Brewery uh, fiasco debacle. Yeah, or those, those development. Words, however, those words, you see it. <laughs> the first two words apply absolutely. <laughs> uh, after I'd written a uh, feature, kind of an expose-like feature for View Weekly about that, um, Jared Campbell from the Oliver Community League and a couple of other uh, league members came came to me and we, uh, about a year and a bit ago, they said we'd we'd like to uh, freshen up our, our our community newspaper. We'd like to do it magazine style. Uh, we'd like to take on more critical issues. We'd like to hire professional journalists, and we'd like you to to lead it. And it was a it was a no brainer. Um, I I don't live in Oliver per se, uh, but you're like right on the border. Yeah, I'm on that. I'm I'm in Queen Mary Park, just behind uh, just behind the Safeway. Right, uh, okay. the Safeway. <laughs> One of my ninety. <laughs> right behind the Safeway. 
Um, and uh, but but I, I you know I spend a lot of time in, in Oliver. I get my groceries from there. I, I work downtown. I walk a lot. Um, and for me, you know, those invisible lines between all the communities, they, they don't really exist. And I think for a lot of people, they don't really exist. So this is really a magazine about the central Edmonton area. Um, and, and so the, the downtown Edmonton Community League also got on board and, and is providing some of the funding as well. That's, that's terrific. And, and you, you had your, fir- your launch at the end of November mm-hmm. and released your first issue uh, December 1st. Yeah. Uh, this is being delivered to all households in the communities. Yeah. We're a nonprofit magazine, um, with the you know with the mandate of, of servicing and, and informing people who live uh, in Oliver and, and downtown the the actual you know bordered communities. Um, and so, as a nonprofit, we can uh, we can deliver this right to people's mailboxes, and uh, and and I think we should. I think that you know if if you pay um, you know certain property taxes that go to your community league, and this is your community league service back to you, then it should come to you right directly. You shouldn't have to really seek it out. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to stick with print instead of going to the web, because uh, you know this is on, on one hand this is a trend of hyper local news. Um, that you're seeing exploding around the world, um, different neighborhoods getting uh, getting hyper local news sites that are informing people and they're able to contribute it and stuff. Um, on one hand, that's a really that's a really cool thing and that's something that we're sort of growing out of. But on the other hand, um, you know, there's a lot of seniors. Um, there's a lot of people who just aren't in that Twitter bubble, that <laughs> Facebook bubble, where uh, where you do. You know where where the, the the news stories that are online come to you. We we felt like it was a duty to go right to the person. Was it a challenge to find advertisers for your inaugural issue? Um, that that's a good question that I can't really answer. Okay. Um, you know, as editor, really my focus is on the the writing and the editing, and you know, and the brand and and showing my face and and talking about it and all that stuff. Um, but as you probably know, in in journalism, there's there's usually a pretty hard line between the editorial and the advertising departments. Mm-hmm. We try to maintain that here as well. Um, and also, I don't care about that stuff. <laughs> I don't want to care about that stuff. I mean, I know I should care about that stuff, obviously. Um, and like you know, when when they come to me and say, "Oh, we didn't get enough uh, advertising, so we're just going to have a 20-page magazine," then yeah, sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it seems like people were pretty receptive to it. Mm-hmm. I was hoping for a, a bigger magazine, but, you know, I work with the pages that I have. Yeah. Do you, find, uh, do you find it more challenging to run a magazine than to just write for one? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a difference between being... You know, being a, a a line cook and being a chef, it's it's a hell of a lot more pressure. It it you know follows me constantly. I, I think about it a lot. Um, you know, it's it's uh, and and I have to take a leadership role, uh, which I haven't had to do in in a long time. And you know, even in in other capacities as an editor, I've never been the editor in chief. So, um, but it's fun. It's 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 exciting, and and I like. Um, I really miss editing, actually, and uh, I I'm enjoying working with some of the freelancers that I uh, that I've that are friends or that I've worked with in the past, and uh, doing stories that they care about. It's it's kind of nice to be back. 
So you're also run by, uh, the magazine itself is owned by a publishing society, a nonprofit publishing mm-hmm. society. How did you pull together your team of directors? Um, you know, how, how did you select the right people for right. the arts? Uh, you know, before our first issue came out, we'd, we'd had a pretty large working group of, of people who just wanted to be on board. We would meet every two weeks or so. Um, at the Deckel Community Hall, and we would talk about what is this, what is the arts? We didn't have a name for it. I mean, we had other preposterous names, but, um, you know, what is this going to be? What do we want it to do? Um, and everyone everyone was chipping in ideas, and everyone was really excited about it. And, and uh, you know, it kind of reached the point where we had to say, okay, we, we have to, like, stop bringing people into the fold for, for a time because we don't actually have anything just yet. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there came a point where we thought, okay, so nonprofit is, pro- is definitely the way to go, um, but, you know, it can't be a nonprofit run by two or three people. How do we make the, um, how do we make the staff um, accountable to the, um, you know, to, to the, the community leagues, but also the, the board, especially the board, um, and, you know, and how do we bring everyone together without having too many cooks? Uh, so we developed this community, um, this editorial committee, rather, and uh, you know we we most of the people on it were already in the room with mm-hmm. us, and then we start to think, well, you know, who else can we bring in? And you know, I wanted to bring in, uh, I wanted to ask Myrna Kostash, who's a Governor General award-winning uh, writer um, uh, or, or or nominee. Uh, Who's, who's lived in Edmonton since the 1970s. Um, she's an incredible writer, but she's also very, very critical, and she lives right in Oliver. Uh, other people like Lisa Baroldi, who, who organizes Designing Downtown, uh, was, was, a, was a great idea. Um, uh, Alex Abood, David Cornoyer, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're already um, experienced with, with citizen journalism. And uh, and they, they they have a good sense of civic issues as well. Um, and we also wanted to bring in people who uh, who just like to eat downtown, who who are in the know, you know, like Tracy Hyatt, for example. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a nice nice mix. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a list of familiar names and uh-huh. uh, familiar downtown characters as well, which is really <laughs> cool. I mean, that's the way it should be in a lot of ways. Where did the name come from? You mentioned that you didn't have a name at uh, kind of yeah. the outset. Okay, so I'm going to run some names by you guys. Okay. You tell me what you thought okay, of these. We're a focus group of two here. Okay. Okay. Um, we thought about Magpie or the Magpie. I think that bit. I think that Todd Babiak has like a copyright on. Does that. he? Yeah, okay. He might. All right. We thought about. Um, <laughs> uh, I like. I I also like the fact that like the word Mag was in it, right? But uh, <laughs> okay. I was thinking maybe a little too literally. Uh, Fifty-three. I don't get it. Nope. Okay. Well, 53 degrees latitude. Oh, of yeah. course. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, what else did we have? Uh, the Crux. Hmm. It sounds too much like a title for a contemporary American play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, agree. I was thinking more like a grunge band. <laughs> the Crux. The Crux. I, I think it started to get really bad when uh, I was just on Wikipedia looking at Edmonton nicknames. And I was like, how about the Chuck? <laughs> Which I kind of like the Chuck. I think it would be, it's a little too blue collar maybe, yeah, but maybe. It, it'd be a fun, 
<laughs> fun podcast spinoff or something. It'd be a nice. Actually, you know, well, we, I know that you're doing a yards podcast. Yeah. Maybe that's what it should be called. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not too confusing. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> One issue every every three months, and then a podcast by the different name. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Bad idea. Uh, so so Chris Chris Bizey of the Downtown Edmonton Community League uh, came up with the yards. And uh, it, it wasn't one of those like, ah, that's perfect moments just yeah because we were still, eh, yeah, maybe we had to, th- it, it had to percolate a little bit. Um, but the yards, of course, is this, is this tribute to the CN Rail Yards um, that used to run across the north side of 104 Avenue until very recently, really. Um, I mean, thinking in historical times. Um, and I, I think it says something, says a lot about Edmonton that, you know, here's something that a lot of people don't know. Um, but it was only, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, um, that this that this thing existed. That the that the train tracks were where, you know, where the new arena is going to be, where yeah. Oliver Square is, and that sort of stuff. And that was the whole reason for the rat holes existence on 109th Street. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so it's you know it's a, it's a nice piece of history. And then of course the double entendre of yards is this this uh, this property that you invite people into that you protect and maintain um, where you where you have leisure but you also sow things to watch them grow and it, it just seemed it seemed perfect after after about a week of thinking of it about yeah. it yeah it's it's like the opposite of the name the b sharps which gets less funny the more you hear it the yards <laughs> gets better the more you hear it and i wonder well, if there would ever be a time where you know um People would refer to both Edmonton, it's downtown Edmonton and Oliver as the yards. I'm going to go hang out in the yards. That would be kind of cool. That'd be you amazing. Know, since since uh, Pogo uh, Car Share launched, um, I've realized that I, I finally have a word for the for the bubble that I basically <laughs> exist in <laughs> and rarely leave unless to visit my parents or in-laws. And so they call it the zone. <laughs> it's true. And it's do. perfect. We, I live in the zone. I, you know, I travel in the zone. It's like, oh, are you going to go to this thing? And where is it? And it's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, that's, that's out of the zone. That's not in the zone. <laughs> that's not in the zone. <laughs> that's an, I never actually thought about that. It's quite brilliant. It's <laughs> quite amazing. If, um, if the arts uh, has success in what it's trying to do, is there any plan to uh, create similar content for other parts of the city? Uh, from from us, I I mean it's not part of any plan. Um, maybe, probably not. It would the the funding structure would have to change because as the most of our well not most but much of our money uh, comes from. Deckel and and the OCL Oliver Community League, so that would that would have to change. I, I mean, they're 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 putting in a lot of money, so you'll see most of the focus is is on uh, those two neighborhoods, and then we kind of venture out a little bit to the surrounding central core neighborhoods. Um, but uh, I mean, maybe if if it weren't funded by community leagues and it was just ad based, uh, perhaps. Um, but if other community leagues want to get involved, you'd have to start new editorial committees. Have yeah. to, uh, I mean, our our nonprofit is called the Central Edmonton News Society, um, not the Edmonton News Society um, or the Millwoods News Society. But I I hope that I see others do this. I hope that they spin off. Uh, the the other thing though is this format, this magazine format, highly stylized, very modern look, um, with with lots of lifestyle, um, you know, uh, and and in civic issue stories and it works because of who lives downtown 
very young demographic, very civic-minded, uh, lots of young professionals, and they are, um, you know, they're they're a lot of them are activists. They're very actively involved in what's going on in their neighborhood. They start pop-up bike lanes. I mean, <laughs> this is this is these are the kinds of people that we are speaking to. And I just don't know if you have such engaged people in suburban neighborhoods. And that's that's nothing against them, but you know they 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 seem to live I think in in a more um, consistent or, or isolated area there's just not so much happening there and there's so much happening here and that's why this magazine is, exists is because after 20 30 years of downtown being um, just this uh, this dead zone there's life and it's exciting to be here again yeah I think it's I think it's a model that could uh, could be replicated by other communities so who knows you know you may see some of the larger communities like Mill Woods coming to you and saying, "How did? How are yeah. you guys making this work?" But you know, Mill Woods does have a community newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberta Avenue has one called the Rat Creek Press that's been around for a long time, and yeah. they, they also have, uh, you know, they hire uh, an editor and and, a, and a journalists as well to to work on that. So you know, we're we're not a, we're not inventing anything. Maybe we're innovating something, but we're not inventing anything at all. Um, so you maybe you'll see more communities community newspapers, community newsletters move into this format. Um, but maybe you won't. As long as they, they believe that it's servicing the people who live there, then it's a job well done. We were talking uh, before we uh, spoke with you about it. You guys were talking about me before I got here? That's we, so that's how we, we have a little, we have a little powwow so before we speak with our guest. Um, one of the questions was, and you had mentioned uh, you went with a magazine format because you felt that it was... Uh, appropriate for the demographic you were uh, creating the yards for. But we were curious, why make a magazine at all uh-huh. when, uh, as Adam facetiously put it before you were here, print is dead? You son of a bitch. <laughs> he was <laughs> hey, he, he was joking. Egon uh, yeah. Spangler said Good it in Ghostbusters. So. Um, I, I would start by saying print is not dead. Um, magazines, there are some magazines that are actually thriving. Uh, look at how much Avenue magazines grown in this city. Absolutely. Um, I think magazines that do something that everyone else is doing, they they whittle. Um, I think very general magazines have a hard time, um, you know, the, the Newsweeks of this world and that sort of stuff. Um, but, ma- like, magazines traditionally are really all about building a community around something, a topic. Popular Science Magazine is a community of, of uh, science geeks and, and tech geeks and popular mechanics for for example, as well. The Smithsonian Magazine is really all about science and history geeks. National Geographic is the perfect example of this. I mean, it's it's a society, right? Yeah. So magazines traditionally have always been about creating, they're the original, like, web forums in a way. Um, they would, you know, find, they would unify people under one, one topic, and here for us that topic is Central Edmonton, and if we focus on that, if we keep a tight focus on that, then I think we're going to do very, very well, because there's a craving for news about Central Edmonton, and while, you know, we have some, we have some great uh, newspapers and, and media in, in this city, but the reality is newsrooms are getting smaller, and their papers are filling with more wired news. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what's what's the first to go? Well, it's often it's often local stories, and so there's a huge craving for that. And um, I think people want to know what's going on in their backyard. And there's also the opportunity to contribute to that discussion too. So, you know, the yards is a two-way conversation. Um, 
I think everyone that contributed in this issue lives in that community, um, and I hope that more people who live in that community will come to me and say, here's a story that I want to write, or here's a story, better yet, here's a story um, I want you to write, um, and, I'm, and I'm happy to, you know, happy to speak on the, on the topic. Yeah. Now, um, you, at the launch, you, um, which was, took place, I think, on November 27th or 28th or something like that, at the uh, Yellowhead Brewery, which was a great venue for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you spent some time with Mayor Iveson on, on yeah. stage there, actually recording the Yards podcast. Yes. So and tell us a little bit about what the vision for that is. Uh, sure. It, we'll, we'll probably do it about once a month to mm. start with. And I, I just want to have conversations with people who are... Uh, working on issues downtown or are part of the community here. Um, Mayor Iveson seemed like a, a great first uh, first guest because, you know, as the as the leader of the city and, and the leader of this uh, of the sort of the downtown vision, um, you know, I, I, I really want to get him on his stool there in, in front of this crowd and, and talk about some of the um, some of the consternation that people have about about downtown's developments. Um, worries about gentrification, worries about uh, whether it's going to be affordable in a while. And, and I think the, the biggest concern that I have, the thing that, that keeps uh, me up is, you know, is how, how, um, how tied to the oil market is our downtown boom? Because mm-hmm. it's happened before, you know, with the NEP in the early 80s where we had this uh, booming downtown, uh, for better or worse, and, uh, you know, oil fell from beneath the ground, and then, uh, or, or the, the price did, and then all of a sudden, everything kind of stopped. Yeah. And are we at risk of seeing that happen again? Uh, I, I think in future guests, we'll, we'll talk to, um, you know, people who are working in, in social services. We'll, we'll want to work, talk to people from the downtown dining scene, Um you know, I so it's I, I'm excited to, about the opportunity for it because I, I love radio and I love podcasts, and uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. So this was a good opportunity for it. Well, welcome to the Edmonton podcast scene. We're really glad hey, to have you guys here. Thank yeah, you. It's awesome. Uh, one last question before we get to our my favorite segment: um, people who are looking for who, who want who have ideas or who want to contribute. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Oh, uh, email me editor at the yardsyeg.ca or just tweet me we could we could start a conversation on twitter is fine um the the yards twitter handle is the yards uh and um and mine is omar underscore aok that's great yeah. and and so sorry go ahead scott i actually do have one other question i would love to hear it uh it's a it's a broader question Ooh. um do you feel because and and we even discussed this uh, in the earlier segment of this show mm-hmm. that uh, people there there there's always a lot of griping when people talk about uh, new developments and changes going on in the mm-hmm. city. Do you feel that uh, the people of the yards, that the downtown community, is excited for all the change that's going on right now? I think you'll find more yimbies uh, in the core <laughs> than than anywhere else. Um, you you look at the. Um, you know, you, you let's look at two two recent developments. Um, one might be the uh, the Hendrix, which was a, a, a glassy high rise that's going up in in Oliver. Um, you know, that is something that uh, ten years ago probably would have been fought by the community. In fact, if you want to look at the Pearl, when the Pearl uh, was 
development was announced, the community fought uh, against that because it was it was too obtrusive. It was uh, um, it was you know it may perhaps it was it was blocking view of the River Valley. I can't remember it, but there was there's a lot of resistance. Uh, Hendricks comes along. There's a little bit resistance, but it's pretty much just quashed by the other people in the other residents around there who were saying, no, 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 we want this. We want density. Yeah. Um, we want better architecture. Let's have it. Uh, another example, of course, the Molson Brewery one, which was, uh, people said this was a case of, of nimbyism, but it, it actually was, was not. What they were saying is, uh, you know, we want this development. We want uh, this, the Molson Brewery area to be, you know, we, we want there to be businesses there, and, and, but we, we want you to go further. This isn't enough. You're just building another strip mall. We want to see, um, you know, we want to see uh, high rises or we want to see apartments. We want to see, uh, you know, active street, bill, um, street front businesses. We want it to be walkable. Don't just make this a giant parking lot because that's kind of what you're doing with some grocery store trimmings. Yeah, and in, and in fact, um, the community I sort of fought against a budget line item that the city was discussing was around the Jasper Avenue revitalization. Mm-hmm. They said, we don't want more money, yeah. but we want you to do it differently. We want yes. you to make it more walkable, more pedestrian friendly, more bike friendly. Bike lanes as well, right? Yeah. I mean, every other neighborhood's like trying to scrape the bike lane paint off their streets. <laughs> true. And downtown and Oliver and Westmount are begging. They're begging for it. They launch a pop-up bike lane yeah. for this. Um, it's it's really amazing. I've never seen this kind of um, active yimby attitude before, um, and and it's 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 not just here too. Like Queen Alexandra recently um, launched a grassroots campaign to have their streets redone in a more walkable and and uh, pedestrian friendly environment too. So I think as people learn a little bit more about what makes a good city, what makes it um, what makes a happy city, as they say. Uh, as people are armed with that information, they know what to ask for, and I hope that's what we'll do with the yards. Is we will there's an educational component to it. We uh, whatever side of the fence you're on, we want people to walk away from it feeling like, oh, I know how to talk to my counselor about my issues, or I know what to ask for at that next open house. Well, it's a great magazine. We're really I, I like the design's fabulous, and I told yeah. Shout outs to uh, Vicky Wyshynski. Yeah, on that. she did an amazing job. Incredible. Um, congratulations on the first issue. Thank you very much. And now we'll go to my favorite part of the show. Strip the tease. Oh, uh, no. See, so on podcasts, you can't see. Oh, so that would really? Only, that would only benefit you. Oh. Now, we've done the Fast 15 with Omar before, have I, we not? I believe we have. Yes, yeah. we have. We're going to do it again. Let's do it. We're going to see if his answer's changed. And we've added a few more. We've changed a few questions. And obviously, we'll have some new wild. I wonder if my answers well. have changed. Oh, this is this can be fun. We're actually gonna. I'll go back right. and compare it. Yeah. All right. So here we go. The Fast Fifteen number two with Omar Mualam. The first question is your favorite food. My favorite food is fa fo fa fa. Yeah, uh, I feel so pretentious calling it fa fo. <laughs> I can I can eat that anytime, anywhere. Put in front of me, give me some chopsticks and and a spoon, and it's I'll devour it. Awesome, and it's uh, on winter days. It's perfect. Oh, it's the best. What about your favorite color? Uh, I think my favorite color is still probably green. Okay, uh, Mac, PC, or Linux? Oh, Mac. Dogs or cats? Oh, ah, jeez, I don't know. Uh, is chimps in it? No, cats, obviously. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Your favorite holiday? Uh, 
Christmas. Love Christmas. So much fun. Your favorite sport? Uh, breathing. I don't have a favorite sport. <laughs> You're a championship breather. I'm a championship breather. I don't pogs. Okay, pogs is acceptable. Uh, what about your favorite pastime? Uh, favorite pastime, uh, eating great food with friends. Your favorite show to binge watch on Netflix? I'm the worst person to ask that. You don't watch Netflix? I don't really watch much TV. Fair enough. I, I haven't even seen The Sopranos yet <gasps> and The Wire. I'm waiting <gasps> until I have a terminal illness so that I can get through all this great television. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't, I don't binge watch TV. Uh, that's, that's a great answer. That's, yeah, there you go. Fa- favorite show to binge watch on Netflix? No. No. <laughs> I, I recently discovered um, movies, homoerotic movies by David Decateau, who's this... Canadian filmmaker who makes a, just the most absurdly like F movies <laughs> and uh, and he also has like a, a pseudonym under a woman's name where he makes uh, family movies but they're all shot in the same house with the same actors oh so that is that is a hell of a lot of fun so look up uh, just look up a talking cat exclamation mark question mark exclamation mark and then you will go down a rabbit hole of netflix (laughs) movies that you did not know existed all right i'm doing that what about uh, so if you don't watch netflix do you occasionally go see movies yeah go see movies all the time what's your favorite movie my well of all time sure okay i'll my favorite movie of all time is probably um it's either annie hall or a clockwork orange um, mm, man, Magnolia, I love that movie too. Uh, and, and just of the year, Birdman, holy Oh, man. I haven't seen it yet. Holy yeah. guys, see Birdman. It looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, favorite video game? Oh, Tetris. All right. For life. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, I know what I said last time. I remember what I said last time. I think I said the ability to speak eloquently at all times and i still feel that way that is a tremendous superpower yeah it is because you know sometimes you're tired or like you don't 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 got time for you haven't thought about things and you just got to like give an answer yeah and it just comes out like that would the you know what would be amazing about that is just waking up from a nap and answering a phone call and still being able to talk like a normal person this monday i woke up at 9 20 and i looked at my phone and i was like oh my god i have a phone interview in 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) what's it about what's it about oh god oh it's about uh oil sands and and um bitchman and oh god what so i'm just like so what Refresh my memory. What's, uh, t- tell me, uh, you know what? J- talk to me like we haven't discussed anything before. How did the idea for this thing happen? <laughs> that must have been your best interview. <laughs> well, we're hoping and praying for that superpower for you. What about Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, you guys got to like cater to my needs here, man. I'm, I just, I don't. And I love sci-fi. I just, I don't really care for either. Fair enough. Yeah. If you were to pick a sci-fi series then yeah, as your fan. answer. I don't really, well, okay, Battlestar Galactica. Um, but I don't really care for sci-fi series. I like like one-off books and movies. Mm. Uh, I don't really like the serialized stuff except for Battlestar Galactica. Fair enough. Now we're on to our two wild card questions. These are tailored to you, Omar. Oh, man. What about, what's your favorite downtown or Oliver gem? Oh, good question. Um, 
downtown or Oliver Gem. You know, Remedy Downtown mm-hmm. is uh, it's not it's not the hippest place. It is not uh, it's not the best food, but it just feels so good to be there. And I just love that there's a coffee shop open till midnight, and it's nice and brightly lit. And I just love what they did for that corner of downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remedy downtown for me. It's great to have them on 124th oh, Street awesome. as well. Yeah. And now, what is what's a thing that you think the city most needs to improve in Oliver or downtown? Yeah, um, I think that too often we're getting better at this. We're we're getting better better at uh, building more mixed use buildings. Um, I would like to see. You know when you go to a bigger city and uh, you know your your friend's apartment is on top of like a grocery store and uh, and like a little bodega or something like that. You know I don't know why we can't have more of that here. Yeah. Um, I don't know why everything has to to uh, be spread apart and why everything has to be focused around how many parking stalls there are. We're getting better at that, but I think what we learned with with Oliver is that, uh, sorry, with the brewery district development is uh, still a lot of people don't realize the value in having mixed use um, architecture and design. Um, so I would like to see more of that. That's a great answer and a great note to end the show off on. Agreed. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for being on the show, Omar. If people want to get in touch with Omar, it's editor at theyards.ca. Mm-hmm. You can check out their website, theyards.ca, to see their latest issue. And you should follow them on Twitter. Yes, follow us on Twitter. Sorry, it's the Yards Yeg. It's the Yards Yeg. Yeah, and the Yards Yeg on Twitter as well. And uh, look out for the podcast at, on the website, and that should be up uh, in mid-December. We will tweet about that as the Unknown Studio for sure. Yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your lovely wife. And a Merry Christmas to the both of you and your lovely wives as well. Do you have a lovely wife, Scott? I do. All right. I have a, li- a lovely life partner. Uh, to whom I am not married. She is the loveliest. Isn't she? <laughs> anyway, take care, man. Thanks for Thank being on the show. Thank you very You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 107. Our guest, Omar Mualam. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. When I came home, I went to bed and said I watched Minority Report. <laughs> it just felt right. It's it's always right to watch Minority Report. It's fine. It's a fine movie. It it gets worse with time. Does it really? Yeah. Well, maybe they'll reboot Minority Report. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. There was talk of a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, there was. I'm surprised that they didn't do one. It did very well. Tom Cruise is in it. Spielberg made it. Yeah. I don't know.
I'm going to watch that movie tonight now, thanks to you, Omar. You really don't have to. Um, 